0: So when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in the Nazarene Church, uh, kind of third grade on, and it was kind of a new thing for me. We had this thing called Bible quizzing, and for me as a kid, Bible quizzing meant we'd go to these little competitions, or we'd have a team of us that would sit at this table, and we'd have these little wooden boxes that kind of had dividers up, and they would have these cards inside of them, and there would be a person, a judge up front, who would read a question. Okay, And they would give the question, and the question would have multiple choice answers, A, B, C, and D. And they would give you so much time to think it over and then pull out your cards, and everybody pulls out their cards at the same time, and the judge looks across and goes, all right, they mark down scores, and they have 20 questions, and at the end of the 20-question round, if there's a need for a tiebreaker, you would do that. If not, the team with the most points would win and advance on, and there was usually like a Saturday tournament kind of thing. As I got older, Bible quizzing kind of, uh, morphed a little bit. They got a lot more cutthroat, especially Southwest Indiana District where they were pretty serious about it. Uh, we had uh, this big interne- or this big national convention uh, once every four years and whenever I went my senior year of high school, three people in the top ten of the nation were from Southwest Indiana, which was crazy. So these are the guys that I was Bible quizzing against all the time. But what would happen was you'd have these chairs. We lost the table. We lost the box. You have these chairs and this little vinyl pad little connectors that go to wires, and they had this box with lights on it, and you, you'd sit on this little pad in the seat, and as soon as you jumped, the first person to jump, the signal would disconnect and their light would come on, and the judge would say, okay, you're first, and what they would do is they'd ask this question, right, and the question would come out. Most of the time, people never finished asking the question before someone jumped. At that point, the person would have to then complete the question and then give the answer. And most of these people that I quizzed against were crazy because they would like have basically the entire book we were studying for that season memorized and just start rattling stuff off. And if you didn't know how to speak Bible quizzing, you're just going, what's going on? I have no clue what that kid's saying because they're just rattling stuff off super quick. In the midst of all that, I wasn't very good. Neither was our team. We mostly did it for the social aspect of getting together with our friends, uh, to be honest, perfectly honest. But at the same time, we would study these books I still remember things that I would study as a kid. I still remember from when we did Genesis, Cain killed the cantaloupe, right? These little memory tricks we give ourselves to help remember things. Cain is the brother who killed his brother Abel, and he is the one that offered an offering of uh, produce, of, of harvest, of things that he grew, so Cain killed the cantaloupe, right? That's how we remembered which brother was which. Still remember it to this day. Weird things you come up with. I still remember all kinds of other random stuff. When we got up to the bigger leagues, for some reason... The questions that had to do with, quote, said verse, I got stuck with. Like We kind of divvy up different parts of the questions, so we were a team, right? For some reason, I always got stuck with the memory verse side of things. I'm not good at that. And so I would try really hard. I'd spend all this time pouring over different stories, pouring over different passages, trying to memorize, trying to internalize, trying to remember all of this stuff. And, man, we would, we'd have practices. We'd have time where we'd study on our own. We'd have all this time where we'd try to pour into ourselves and have all this information in our head, and the problem is, despite the fact that I was spending a significant amount of time with small portions of Scripture, to this day, I probably couldn't tell you half the verses I memorized for quizzing, to this day, I can remember a few of the books we studied, but not really in depth, the things I got from it at that point. I can tell you I was spending a lot of regular time in the Word, and yet the 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 fruit that my life was producing was much the same as it has always been, if not worse at times, especially in high school. To dwell on the Word, to spend time in it, is something that's really important. We've been talking about being still. We've talked about the Sabbath. We've talked about our need to be engaged in a prayer life that's two ways and not just a a one-way conversation. And we know that it's important if we're going to be still before God, if we're going to draw close to Him in His presence, that we have to be in his word. The problem is, as I learned way back when, we can regularly be in his word and no way, shape, or form be transformed by his word. And so today I want to talk about what does it mean to actually dwell on God's word in a way that produces fruit in our lives, that helps us be still and draw into God's presence to truly grow in this relationship so he can reveal himself to us. It's funny because we've been practicing this for a few weeks now, somewhat. We've been dwelling on this passage, Psalm 46. And again, as we go to a prayer time before we really dive into our discussion today, I I once again want to read this passage in Psalm 46 and let the words wash over us one more time, letting these these words kind of just settle into our hearts and into our minds and then enter into a, a silent time of prayer where we can let God's presence just overwhelm us because this is part of that practice of, yes, we've read it multiple times, But as we continue to read it, as we continue to let those words sink in and change us, it helps us build that relationship. So again, if you want to close your eyes and just listen, if you want to follow along, Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Just go before him silently. Just let his presence overwhelm us. Father, once again, we just come before you knowing that you've made yourself known to us in so many ways, but you've provided this this amazing gift of your word. And Father, sometimes we get too busy to stop and open it. Sometimes we get too focused on accomplishing a goal and burn through it. Let's just say we did it. Father, other times we want to read, we want to grow, we want to learn, but we just feel so overwhelmed by the words that it's so hard to feel like we actually walked away seeing anything differently. Father, this morning I just pray that you meet with us and help us to see one practical step we could take to more deeply engage you and dwell in your word and let it pour over us and let it change us and transform us. Father, we want to grow close to you Otherwise, we wouldn't have braved the snow this morning to come out into this place. And so, Father, I pray you bless us in this time and that everything that's said and done in this room would be glorifying to your name alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. So, there's a couple of things I think it's important to start with when we talk about this book because when we start off, you, you all know that I love the big story. Like, I'm always kind of going back and say, let's go back to the beginning. Let's start in Genesis, right? Because though there are a lot of different individual books that comprise God's Word, that tell us different aspects of the story, different pieces of the puzzle, some cover history, some are more in that vein of poetry, some are specifically the gospel and the accounts of Jesus and what he did, the, the letters to the early church. There's all these different types of books that are given to us, that help us understand, but when we piece them all together, we see that there is this grand narrative. It's actually the study that has been going on on Wednesday nights here. Um, The group that meets here on Wednesdays is studying the story, this big-picture look at God's Word that continues to kind of study through in the bigger chunks, looking at God's upper story and our involvement in the lower story, how we're engaging in what God is doing here, while all the while he's trying to accomplish this bigger-picture mission. When we zoom out and start to see... That it's not just these individual books, but that all of these books play together and work together and form this grander narrative. That's when we start to get excited about what's going on here, because we zoom out and kind of start to look at the big picture. The problem is sometimes we zoom in too closely. We think that when it comes time to study God's Word, it's kind of like Bible quizzing. I need to remember it. I need to put it into my heart, so I need to memorize the words. I need to be able to quote it, I need to be able to recite it, I need to have all those intricate little truths, all those little details that I can pull out. We go off to Bible college, we study Greek and Hebrew, the languages that the the scriptures were originally written in so that we can understand the true meaning behind these words and what was he really trying to say when he used this term so that we can have this deeper understanding. And all the while, the more we study like this, the more we dive in, the more we kind of Zoom in and start picking apart a specific verse, the narrower our focus gets. We start to focus on that single word and what 's it mean, and we start to see that one verse, and all of a sudden we 've isolated this piece of scripture, and we build our thoughts and our our understanding off of this one passage, and we can easily miss the bigger picture of why God wrote this in the first place i 'll give you an example. Um, and I want to preface this story by saying the, the, the gentleman I'm talking about in this story I love deeply. He's one of my biggest cheerleaders and friends and supporters and encouragers when I worked at this church. But I had an elder that I worked with at one point. We were having discussions about uh, leadership. Kind of the similar discussions we've been having here recently. And we were talking about a gentleman who had a desire to serve the church. And and he was already serving the church. But he had the desire to be called a deacon. And, and we were having this conversation because the man was single. And in the midst of the conversation, there was a lot of the discuss about the normal kind of qualifications that are spelled out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus and all these different things that were piecing together. And this guy was an elder. He, he said, I, I just don't think that we can let him be a deacon because he's not married. Well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, this passage here says that a deacon needs to be the husband of but one wife. And therefore, he needs to be married. And the rest of us kind of sat around and we were like, look, Here's the thing like I think that but one wife is an important piece of that 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 verse we, when we talk about that but one wife I think he's just putting the emphasis on only one wife right not 6 10 15 20 wives right that would be the problem there is if he had too many he doesn't have any I think that's okay but that's not the way he saw it and we had these kind of conversations and debates where we resumed in on this one passage of scripture and the way we read this certain line differed and it caused a lot of strife. In fact, it, eventually he stepped down because we, the rest of us just didn't see it that way and we agreed to bring this guy on as an elder and he felt convicted deeply enough about it, he stepped down. He, did, he wasn't mad, he didn't leave the church, he just said, I just can't put my name on that. And he still attends there today from what I know. But the thing is, in the midst of that, if we were to back up and zoom out, this passage we're basing this off of is off the, from the lips of Paul, right? Paul is writing saying, husband of but one wife, yet if we go over here, Paul has a completely different passage that he's teaching, and he says, you know what, you should be like me if you can be. See, right now I'm able to keep my, myself, my urges, my desires in control, and therefore I'm not married, I'm not connected to a spouse and a family that I have to take care of, and so if you can maintain control over your desires and your wants, you should be single too, because you can devote yourself more fully to the work of Christ and to the work of the gospel. When we zoom out, we start to see a bigger picture. Why would Paul say over here that you should be like him and stay single to lead and work in the church, and then over here say you have to be married to serve and work in the church? It just doesn't make sense, does it? And then we zoom out even further, and we start to look at the heart of what Christ is accomplishing and what he's doing, and we start to look at the bigger picture even of why was this role that we're talking about created in the first place? We start to look at the heart of what was it trying to accomplish? Was this really a voted-upon role? Was this really this structured, legalistic system? Or was it simply someone we appointed, and we wanted to make sure because we appointed them to take care of these widows that we trust them, that they are trustworthy and of good character, not somebody who's going to burn us by misbehaving and handling this situation poorly? What was even the intent of the role? And the further we zoom back, the more we start to see the bigger picture in God's heart in this situation. And that's the thing. When we approach God's word... Sometimes we study for the sake of growing and understanding all the pieces. We we treat it with all these chapters and verses like it's some legal document, like our bylaws. We can address the certain bylaw that's written in this section, paragraph 3, article 2. You know, we kind of go down the same sort of way. James chapter 3, verse 2 says this, and therefore, this is the way it is. And we only reference that single verse, and we don't zoom out and look at the whole picture those verses and chapters and headings weren't there originally. They were letters, written to other people. They were histories and accounts of what was going on. They were stories that were written and captured to record what God was accomplishing and doing. They were thing. Literally, in some of these cases, we're reading someone else's mail. It's kind of like if I wrote a note to you and sent it in the mail, and we're just talking about stuff we've been talking about, and we kind of know the insides of the story. And someone else intercepts it and starts reading it and they go, oh, wow, I'm going to base everything I do off what Nick says. That could get scary because who knows what I was talking about. And they can take this one piece of someone else's mail. And I'm not saying this isn't God-inspired and God-breathed and something we should look to for instruction. I absolutely am. But in the midst of that, we have to carry it in the bigger picture of God's heart. Would Paul write something that's contradictory to what Christ is saying? Would Christ say something in contradiction to what the Old Testament teaches? No. No. So how do they work together? And when we start to really look at how we interact and engage in God's Word, we start to see that sometimes some of us come at it with this desire to get in and understand all the ins and outs and all the pieces. i got to know all the books. I've got to know all the verses. i got to know where that's found and what these references are. I have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that I have. So I need to know this book inside and out. I need to remember that Cain killed the cantaloupe. And I know that where where that happened and what that happened, and all of a sudden it starts to look like that Bible quiz meet where I can regurgitate and spit out the information if someone asks me so that I can develop a better argument than you have as to why this is a sin and why this isn't. We start to build these structures of how we see things, and this becomes a textbook. And for many pastors I know, for many people who go off to grad school and start studying and working, this becomes a textbook and a tool and a thing that we dissect so much that we miss The heart of who God is and what God is trying to teach us because ultimately there is this bigger picture narrative that's going on where God is so desperately calling out to us in love saying you chose yourself and walked away and I want you to come back into relationship with me. I want us to be together. I want us to be in relationship. Stop running away. Stop choosing yourself, start choosing me. I so desperately am chasing you and trying to provide way after way after way to restore you into my presence, to restore you to wholeness so that we can interact, so that you can be my people and follow me. And ultimately goes to the very end of sacrificing everything, being completely humble and obedient, obedient to even death on a cross, as Philippians 2 tells us. This beautiful moment that we celebrate and the reason we're here on a Sunday morning, the reason we recognize the resurrection Sunday that Jesus died, the reason we take that communion, Jesus gave himself completely to redeem and restore us. And when I start to look at the big picture of the story, that has to influence everything I read. Every piece of the puzzle starts to come back to this is ultimately a story that has always been pointing to and leading up to Jesus, God with us. It has always been about what he was going to accomplish in our lives. It was always going to be his story and how we were involved in it. And when we start to read God's word with this heart and this desire not to dissect it, not to know it, not to just hold it like some tool or something that we know, and we stop being overwhelmed by the weightiness of this textbook that we just don't understand. And we start to realize this is a beautiful story, a beautiful love letter that's been written, a beautiful account of how God is pursuing his people. It becomes less intimidating, less scary. And we can start to really, truly engage in who God is and what his heart is for us. And therefore, when I dwell in the word, whenever I go to read and it's time for me to sit and, and to dive in, I come in with a different perspective, Because whenever I walk into that time to study, what I'm trying to accomplish makes a big difference. If I'm just too busy to pick it up, I'm too busy to ever pick it up and engage it, I'm saying one of two things. I know enough and I don't need any more. This other stuff's more important right now. Or I need to, I just am not making time. Either way, I am sacrificing my connection to an understanding of who God is that He provided for us. His words are. Written down, his story written down and handed down to us so that we can understand his heart. This beautiful picture of what he's trying to accomplish in our hearts, we're neglecting. It's kind of like Dan's meditation in a sense when we're talking about the gifts we give and the ways we treat each other. If we're neglecting each other completely and I'm going to test and saying, no, I don't have time for you today, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. We'll talk some other day, some other week, some other month. I've got way too much to do to spend time with you tonight. Sorry? What's that say? If I don't ever stop and ask her how her day was, if I don't ever stop and ask her what's been going on in your life, what's been going on in your world, does she feel like I care about her at all? Would that be something if God's saying, I want you to spend time getting to know my heart, getting to know who I am, getting to know how I work, understanding how I engage with my people? But I don't ever take the time to bother to pick it up and figure that out. There's a piece of brokenness there because my life takes priority over his heart. The same thing is true if we pick this up to go into it like a textbook study. All right, I've got a reading plan. I've got to make sure I get three chapters done today. All right, I've read this before. Yep, I remember this story. Cool, yep, that was a good one. Ooh, I didn't never notice that detail before. Interesting. Mark that down. That's an interesting fact I to learned today. Okay, cool. God, thanks for your word today. I appreciate it. Help me have a great day. Thanks. Amen. The coldness in which we approach this sometimes when we have it as a mark off our to-do list type item. When we just come in and treat it as I need to gain a little bit more knowledge for myself. Ooh, I didn't see that before. We can enter into it with this coldness where we're not really dwelling in it. We're just going for distance and not for quality, right? Quantity over quality, how much I can get read. i got to get my reading plan done in one year. This is the way the reading plan is set up. Or maybe we want to. Maybe we want to understand. Maybe we've heard people talk about how much they love God's word, and you're going, man, I sit down and I read a genealogy, and I just feel overwhelmed, and I get into Leviticus because I started in Genesis, and that started off Okay. But then by the time I got to the end of Exodus, and then Numbers, oh man, and I got into all these books, and I was just swimming in all this information, and all these ways they're supposed to make clothes, and the ways they're supposed to make a building, and all these sacrifices they're supposed to offer, and I'm just overwhelmed, and I just feel like I'm lost in all the mix. And sometimes we get into it, and we're just so overwhelmed by the weightiness of some of the the details that we just go, how do I see the big picture here? How can I find the big picture here? Ultimately, the heart in which we pick this up matters. When Tessa and I were in college and we started dating, it was our freshman year, Christmas break. The trick is she was at the University of Evansville, and I was at um, Olivet Nazarene University up near Chicago. Okay, those places are not close, Um, and so we spent our entire dating life apart from each other. Really, four and a half years of dating long distance. One of the things, I'm pretty sure it was probably her idea because I can't remember, but I'm assuming it was her Um, because she's good like that. She, uh, I'm pretty sure bought this journal at one point. And there was this idea that we can't always be in communication. This is before cell phones were constantly attached to our hip. And so I was still calling her every once in a while on the school phone, which cost me money and long distance and all that fun stuff. And you, you just had so many conversations that you could have. And so she bought this journal so we could write down what we were thinking and share different notes and thoughts as the week and the day went on, and so she'd write in this journal. And then the next time she'd see me, she'd give it to me, and then I would take the journal, and I would have a chance to read all the things she had written. And then I would have time every day, or not every day, but over the course of the week to write a few different times in it and to share different thoughts and, and to, to write kind of different affectionate thoughts and, and the ways we care about each other and miss each other and all those things back and forth. And it was kind of this back and forth every time we'd get to see each other, we'd pass the journal back off. And there was this expectation and excitement about getting a hold of this journal to be able to read all the things that she had written. All the things that I knew she was thinking and feeling and how she felt about me. There was an excitement and an anticipation to read about how much she cared about me. And when we pick this book up, if we viewed it in similar sort of ways, this is the record of all the things over the course of all the history when I wasn't around and wasn't able to see all the ways God was pursuing me and trying to bring me into relationship. If I stop trying to read all the details and just simply see his heart, and I walk into my time of study to dwell on who he is, what he thinks of me, how he calls me to interact and engage and be a part of what he's doing. And I see that big picture of the upper story and I see how I'm supposed to be involved in the lower story, the, the interactions here. It gives new perspective, it changes the way I enter into it, it changes my excitement level when I sit down to read. And we have to be able to come into his word with a heart of an excitement, not a fear of dread of what am I getting into today today. What details am I going to have to hammer through today? What kind of stuff do I have to force myself through today? If it is a labor, sometimes that's about building the discipline. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you've got to force yourself to get into it to really be able to find that excitement and energy and realizing what's here. And so there are times it is a discipline to force yourself to sit down and read before it catches on and you build steam. I'm not saying it should just be an exciting thing the first day you sit down and try it. But I do want to give us some practical pieces of how we enter into and dwell in God's word because I understand sometimes it's overwhelming. There's a couple of different practical ideas. There's a book. I've mentioned it before. You want to jot it down. It's called Divine Mentor by Wayne Cordero. I'm not even going to try to spell that. I should have had it up here with me, but I've got it in my office. If you want to look at it later, just tell me. Um, Wayne Cordero, Divine Mentor is the name of the book. and And in this book, he kind of talks about this this method he teaches for engaging in God's word, and they call it SOAP. Something I've practiced, something I've done. It's a really practical idea. SOAP. S-O-A-P. Sounds really clean, right? And so SOAP is this idea of writing, you're reading. You got reading to do today? All right, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read. And as I'm reading, I'm paying attention for a verse or for a passage or for an idea that stands out to me. I'm just on the lookout through the chunk and the section of what I'm reading today that's going to speak to my heart and call out to me. And scripture the S for Scripture is with the Scripture that I write down. I've got this S. I found this Scripture that kind of jumped out. I write down what that Scripture was. I actually handwrite that out and put it down. Then O. The O is observation. As I look at that Scripture, as I read it, as I reread it, as I dwell on it, as I think about it, what are the observations? What are the things I'm seeing? What are the things God's pointing out to me? What is He telling me about myself, about Him, about how I'm supposed to engage in who He is in this passage? A, application. How does this apply? How does this connect to my life and where I am today? How am I called to live differently because of this passage of Scripture, because of what he's teaching me in this word? And I jot down some thoughts. And finally, the P is just the simple prayer. God, I need your strength. I need your energy to be able to do this. I need you to accomplish this task. That's one simple way of sitting down every day and kind of writing down in a journal or writing down some notes that kind of help you process through what you're reading and what God's trying to say. Maybe soap isn't for you. Maybe it is just simply asking the question after everything I've read this morning or maybe after this section of what I've read this morning. God, what did I learn about you today? Who are you based off what I read? What did I see? Even in the midst of those genealogies, sometimes there's those little moments where he singles somebody out and points out some attributes of them. And it's funny, in between the lines sometimes when you don't just get into the monotony and and cruise right through it, but you kind of look for that, all right, this is pretty consistent. Oh, wait, this one's a little different. This one's got a little more depth. What is it I can learn about myself or about you? That first question is, God, what am I learning about you specifically as I read this passage? The next question is, God, what am I learning about humanity and how you view us, how you see us, as I read through this today? Finally, God, how are you calling me to live differently because of what I've read today? And if we're not asking ourselves those questions, if we're not reading the word and dwelling in it in a way that allows us to really wrestle with those questions, how are we to walk away different? How are we to walk away producing fruit? There's other ways. There's a, there's a little app on, that you can get on your phone called Read Scripture. One of the things I love about Read Scripture, it's nothing fancy. Most every day it's just a, it's a reading plan that gives you usually three to four chapters in the Old Testament to start with and then a, a passage in Psalms. But what is wonderful about it is during certain days they weave in videos from Bible Project. Bible Project is something you can find on YouTube, online. You don't have to have that app to get it. I encourage you, if you're reading a book in the Bible and you're studying it, go find the Bible Project video on it because these guys do these illustrated videos that walk you through the breakdown of this book and help you understand that big picture scheme of what God is communicating through this passage. It gives such great perspective that really livens up the study and helps it really come to life in a way you may not have thought about before. Because when you understand how it fits into the big picture as you're reading those details, those those pieces come to life and then make them more significant. Even some of the craziest little things as I've read with those videos right next to me, have come to life and jumped out at me in ways of after 37 years of being engaged in God's word I've never noticed before. After going to Bible college and spending time pouring over all the tiny little details I'd never noticed before. There are so many different ways. If you want to talk about, discuss, pray through, wrestle with a way that will help you to engage God's word in a way that allows you to slow down and dwell on those passages, I would love to have those conversations with you. I would love to help you kind of work through and process what might work for you. But the reality of the matter is this. We have to be picking up God's word to understand who he is, how he has always viewed us, and how he is engaging in our lives, and how he is calling us to live. Because the beautiful big picture of his plan, his mission, what he wants us to accomplish in his kingdom is spelled out in these words. Now I will say this. To just study, to just read, part of the problem still comes back to where we started this series. Rest and Sabbath. If we're not rested, if we're not seeking God's presence, if we're trying to just fit this in in the busy chaos of our life, it's hard to have the energy to truly slow down and hear His voice. If we're not in prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and actually slowing down enough so God's voice can be heard and present in this time it's going to be really hard for us to feel as though we're connecting with these words because the Holy Spirit is the one that truly makes them come to life and we start to look at all these puzzle pieces and how they build together to bring about spiritual disciplines in our life that help us to grow to help us to slow down so he can reveal himself to us we have to put all the pieces together we have to keep doing our homework we have to keep going back and saying am I making Sabbath time in my life Am I sacrificially carving out space that is just God's for resting in him and knowing him? When I carve out that Sabbath time, am I really making time to be still and know that he is God by hearing his voice, knowing who I'm talking to, being aware of who I'm sitting across from, and engaging in a conversation that is not just one way, and sitting there in uncomfortable silence until I feel I've had an opportunity to hear from him? And ultimately, when I feel like I'm hearing from him, Am I opening his word and being fed, not just on Sunday morning, but in my everyday life because God's word gives me what I need? You know I haven't read a lot of passages this morning, but we go back and we look at Deuteronomy 6, which we talked about last fall, the Shema. Moses is giving the law to the people. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Think about these commandments that I give you today. They should be on your heart. They should be on your lips. You should talk about them when you walk along the road, when you sit down at home. You should share them to your children. They should constantly be things you're discussing. That was for the law that he was handing out to the people. But this instruction, this guidance, this heart for where God wanted them to go was communicated through the law at that time. Later, when Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, is about to take the Israelites into the promised land, Moses has died, and they're about to cross the Jordan, they're about to go take hold. In verse 8, he talks about how we should meditate on God's commands in the morning and in the evening. Psalm after psalm after psalm talks about dwelling on God's law, dwelling on his word, thinking about the instruction, thinking about his testimony. David wrote an entire one of the longest chapters in all of scripture. Psalm 119 is a love song to God's commandments and God's law and God's testimony and God's word. Time and time and time again, there are passages that point us to spending time here, to understanding who he is, having joy in what he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. But it's hard to find that joy when this is a chore. It's hard to find that joy when we feel the need to just step in every day and do the same old, same old. It's hard to find that joy when we don't ever carve out the time and make space. And so we have to find our homework. And so as the worship team wants to come up, it's time to talk homework again. And this week I think the homework is simply this. Number one sacrificially carving out space and time for us to dive in and make study a regular part of our life. Maybe it's not every day, but maybe it's several days a week where you know you're going to get in good study time. Every week, this should not be the only time we crack open God's word. But the second part of that is this. You wrestle with what is it I need to do to adjust my study routine so I'm not just fulfilling my duty, so I'm not just blowing it off and not making time for it. What do I need to do where I create space for God to truly speak to me through His Word so that I can dwell in that Word? Maybe today you had a verse that you found, and, man, it it really jumped out at you. Maybe you just need to write on a sticky note and stick it on your dashboard, and every time you stop at a red light, you reread that passage and let it dwell. Let it be like those waves that kind of crash over you back and forth. And back and forth, and they wear away at you, and they change you, and they pour over you, and you dwell in God's presence. And then at the end of the day, after all that time of letting that passage pour over you, then come back and say, God, here's what I saw today, and reflect on what it was he taught you. Maybe it is that meditation in the morning, in the night, whatever it is, whatever the plan is that's going to work for you, it's about finding something that is going to allow you to engage in God's word and let it stick, let it dwell, let it regularly be a part of what's going on. But regardless, at the end of the day, what has to happen is we have to be a people who seek after his face so that he can reveal himself to us, and we would be greatly amiss if we're not including his word in that process. So if you would, stand with me, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship this amazing God that we love so much. But we have to ask ourselves the question, God, what is it that I do do in my reading time, in my scripture, my study, and what is it I'm missing? What is it I need to get better at? How is my attitude need to be different when I come and address your word? How is it I need to see your word differently? How is it you're calling me to be different today based off of your word, and how can I engage in it in such a way that transforms me? And this week, yeah, let's just pray. Let's pray, yeah. Father, I love you, and I'm thankful for your heart, and I'm thankful for. What it is that you have poured out for us in your word. From the beginning of Genesis to now, Father, you continue to teach us what it means to be a part of your kingdom. How it is you've called us to be your sons and daughters like we sang about earlier. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer bound by the law that keeps us captive. But we have been set free and we are called to follow you and be your children who grow in you and, 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 and are transformed to produce good fruit in our life. And Father, we know that we gain better a deeper understanding of that every day through your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would challenge us and push us and call us to your words so that we can truly be your people, following you fully and wholeheartedly, understanding what it is you're calling us to be, but, Father, more importantly, seeing the love that you poured out on us every day. We love you, and it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.